going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 today. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Christian's three greatest enemies. Um, we know when we read here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, that we're beginning to take a transition from where John has been speaking to us and reminding of us of how we're supposed to walk in the world and how we're supposed to shine as lights in the world. And now he's getting into really kind of the, the kind of world that we live in that we are supposed to engage in. Uh, next week, we're actually going to be starting to pry open the spirit of the Antichrist that's coming into the world. And he said, which now is already. But right now, he's acquainting us with uh, three enemies that we engage in as a body of people on the earth, as Christians, uh, proclaiming the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'd like to do is read 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and then we'll get into the issues of the text. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in him, or for, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Very powerful passage of Scripture we're moving into here. And it starts off with the fact of love. What do you love? Boy, we use love really loosely in our culture. Uh, we love bacon, and then we love our children. Okay? We love the church, and we also love God, and we love movies. We can't... The, this word that we have is largely dependent upon inflection and syntax and how we're using it. The Greeks were much more... Uh, the Greek-speaking world was much more specific in how they used it. And, and so... When, when John is using it, he's actually using the word that we all know to be what Christ's view of love was for us, agape, or self-sacrificing love. And so here it would be if we read it this way. Do not agapeo the world, cosmos, which is a general term used just for everything the world is. It's just there as an entity. Do not sacrificially love with great affection the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him very clear what john is saying when he was writing this there were obviously false teachers heretics and the like that were trying to mesh together this notion that you could have both christ in a less than deified way. Oh, also, and in less of a human way. Something unusual, but less than who he was. And you can have the world too. And they had this idea that sin was bad, matter was bad, but your spirit was good. And so if you sinned in the world, it really wasn't you doing it. It was just your body. So if you engaged in some kind of illicit behavior, 
You could have Jesus and do that too because even Jesus would know that, it, that even though your flesh did this, your spirit didn't because it was too pure. It was a really warped form of Gnosticism. And so the question remains here for me, or the statement rather, what do you love the most? And you'll always be able to tell what you love the most by what you fix your mind on the most. What drives you your what drives your day the most? What do you love? What do you serve? Where do you where do your energies go? Now, before you get frustrated and say, we work twelve hour shifts at my job. I work, I come home, I eat, I sleep, I repeat. That's is, I do not worship my work preacher. I know you don't. And while you're at your job, your mind and your heart are also equally somewhere. What is the foundation or the footing by which you're setting on? When you go to work, where do you work from? What is your position from which you work from? Now I might be meddling a little because they say, you don't know my manager. Okay, Uh, His job is to make my life miserable and my job is to get him off my back. Okay. All of this, though, is part and parcel of what we wrestle with in this world. My point is this, and this is what John is saying. You cannot affectionately love this world and everything that it offers and love God at the same time. You just can't. Oh, and they try so hard. People try so hard. Case in point. There are many churches today and denominations that are folding up, falling like dominoes. These de- and these old line denominations have long held a strong stance for Scripture, the authority of the Word of God, the, the uh, sufficiency of Christ and salvation. But now they've embraced some kind of a bizarre meshing together of both the world and the church, and they say this, this is the part that gets me, we have become a church that just loves. We just, you be who you are, we're going to love you. And in so doing, they love nothing. Well, that's not true. They don't love the things of God. They love the world. And the love of the Father is not in them. Because you can't. He doesn't share. What does the Bible say? Our God is a jealous God? For John's readers, the relentless seductions of allure and allurements of the world were constantly picking away at their sufficiency and satisfaction in Jesus. Now I want you to try to understand what is being said here. For John's readers, the relentless seductions and allurements of the world were constantly picking away at their sufficiency and satisfaction in Jesus. You can, as a Christian, you cannot be satisfied in any other but Christ alone. If you are truly born again, if Jesus is is your Savior, you have a testimony of saving faith. And I don't care if it was a, I was there that day it happened, it was instantaneous, it was overwhelming, or it was what we call the merger over a long period of, of, of the highway's life, you know, the life highway. You now know that your heart is, is in Jesus. I mean, you know that. 
You can't be satisfied with anything else but Him. You can't find it in your children. You can't find it in your spouse. You can't find it in your intellectual attainments. You can't find it in your job attainments. You can't find it in money. You can't find it in geographical locations. You can't find it anywhere except in Jesus alone. Your, your heart now is literally shaped one way. And we're going to talk about shape here in a minute, but your heart now is completely reshaped to only hold Jesus. And so, anytime, because we do dumb things, uh, anytime we try to put something else in that vase, vase. I hate it when people say that. It just gets all over me. I hear it every time I say vase, too. <laughs> like pecans. Are you kidding me? Okay. Pecans, man. Okay. <laughs> Go south. Anyhow, uh, you, we try to stuff things down in there, and it's, it's an irritant. It doesn't work. It does not become a pearl. You're not a clam. Okay. You're not an oyster. You don't turn sin into good things. It's an irritant to your soul because your heart is shaped a certain way. And you can't do that. I struggle, just to illustrate, to help you understand. uh, I gave up on Wranglers. Some of you men, I've noticed, I won't say names here, but there's one in particular, two actually, that do really well with their Wranglers. Good for you. I could never actually find the kind that fit me. They were either had too much coming up here, so I had to pull them up to here to, to, for them set, to set right, or, or they were so far down here, or the legs were too tight, and they were big at the bottom, and I just gave up. That's why I wear these, okay? It's just flowy, right? But I could never get those jeans to fit right at all, and the worst part of it was, though, you know, traditionally, Wranglers are cut to set real high so that when you're in the saddle, you can have your pants come up and they won't fall down. But the rest of the time when you're standing up, if you, pull, if you really pull them up, of course, sometimes you can't. Because there's a, an opposing force to push them back down. And if you had that big belt buckle, back in the day, I had one, right? First, it begins to tilt out a little. But then it just really becomes a major source of harassment. And if you seek to sit down anywhere at all, you think you need a surgeon, right? So you lose that belt, and you wonder why these stinking pants won't stay up. Because you have an opposing force. The point is, they're, they're cut too much this way. But some of you are built fine like that. I noticed back in the 50s, in some of the old movies, some of the old suits they wore, it seems like they are, their belt was right up here. Their suspenders were only that long. Shoop, right there, right? So, I'm really getting off here. It's not how it's supposed to be in church, and Claire Ferguson would be mad. Okay, uh, the, point, the point is we have a shape as Christians, and, and we fit in one mold, one. If you're in Christ, you have one mold, and you can try your hardest to be reshaped, but you have been spoken for. And your God, your Savior, will not allow you to be reshaped. And as we talked in Sunday school class, if you persist in an act of almighty grace, if you really persist, he just may squeeze the life out of you and take you home. 
because he loves you too much. For so for John, that same the, the same seductions and allurements we face, they had in their own way, in their own day. More of this and more of that. And, and every bit of it is, is seeking to make Jesus small. It's natural for God's people to sometimes get drawn away from the pure beauty of Christ towards the ugly corruption of the world. It's, it's natural. That, again, that hymn that, that we sing sometimes, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why do we do that? Because we are sinful people, which is why we have an all-sufficient Savior who never stops saving. Why? Because we never stop sinning. And He never stops loving us in spite of us. Because we're His children and we've been reshaped. Now, if you don't know Christ, I want to tell you emphatically, you do not have that. You are outside of that, of that mercy. You are separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus because you choose sin. And your shape looks completely different. Our shape looks like this, if you will. Yours looks like this. It's the world. And you fit in nicely. You see nothing wrong with abortion. You see nothing wrong with homosexuality. You see nothing wrong with redefining culture according to race. You see nothing wrong with... Uh, horrible songs and TV shows and, and, and just anything goes, really. You have, I mean, really, to each their own, right? I mean, truth is relative, and you have your set of mores, and I have my mores, and everyone can just get along and kumbaya. But it's not really how it works. But your shape is different than mine and many here. Your shape is completely and wholly empty and decaying. And if you're so happy in it, you wouldn't be mad at those of us who found a different shape. Because we remind you of the accountability of God. And that's why they hate us so bad. James chapter 1 and verse 14 in the New Living Translation says, Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away enticing us means to catch fish by bait you if you how many people here fish some of you i try to fish and i know all about bait okay it doesn't work for me but i know that fish are attracted to certain things temptation inside our soul we all have our own things that get us right we all have our own set of unique temptations to us. Don't, hey, by the way, since we're on that, don't ever try to leverage the fact that your temptation isn't as severe as the other ones. It's all sin and it all stinks. Okay? It's, it's not a manure sniffing contest. It's, it's all bad. It's all bad. But it comes from us. It emanates us. So I know where my cracks are in my vessel. I know what's weak for me. So what do I do? I put up guards there. 
I do. I put up guards there. This, this summer, I had the chickens free range, and I had a strawberry patch. And I watered them really well. My favorite ones, boy, they're good too. Man, you guys can't believe how good these ones are. They're French, so they're really good. Okay? They are exquisite strawberries, just so powerful. So I was watering them, and I was just waiting and waiting, and they had blooms. I'm like, excited! And I can't figure out why there's never anything but blooms. And well, one day I walked outside, and I was watching the chickens off in the distance, and they were just strutting their stuff, and I thought, chickens are attracted to red. They're making their morning journey over and picking my strawberries clean. So, that's what they're doing. The black one always leads the bunch, too. Okay? And sure enough, I had to get up really early one, and there they were. So I built a fence around it. Guess what happened? I had the strawberries. I had a little fence around it. They couldn't get in. Have you built a fence around your areas of your life where you are weak? You can't just pretend it doesn't exist. It does. You know how they, you know, some of our more proactive administrative types say, planning, or see, failing to plan is planning to fail. Right? I get by, but we all should have a plan on not to fail. Your weaknesses and your, in your areas, you've got to take a look at them. If it's through music, stop it. Have you ever noticed how seductive music can be how sexually oriented it is this past week i watched an old show from world war ii called uh the guns of navarone it had gregory peck in it and some other old folks and it was an exceptional show i think it only had three bad words at all and they were really small there was no sex in it whatsoever they made an entire nearly two-hour movie with no seduction, actually had, it was an actual script with thought and talent and a story. And it wasn't bad. It'd make you feel like you had to go shower after. Those shows are, you don't need to watch those kinds of things. So you're forced then to go to other things that aren't bad. So you have to fight yourself against these areas of your life that can drag you down. F.B. Meyer uh, was a man, and I, I got two stories I want to tell on him real quick as we go through the text. F.B. Meyer was a man who prayed for revival for years and years in his church. Years. And what happened was, one, one day after these years of praying, he got before his church in a broken way, and he said, I... I don't, I don't know what else to, to do. We are literally at a point where only God can save us from ourselves and renew us. And I've been praying for revival. And so here's what he said. He goes, I'm going to put it on you, the congregation. Are there any of you here who are totally in obstinate to God and quenching the Spirit. I'm like, you preach it, brother. I, you know, I'm running as I'm listening to this. This old man stood up, gray beard. He said, Pastor, I've been mad at brother so-and-so for ten years and have not spoken to him. And I would like to ask brother so-and-so to forgive me 
Then another one stood up. Said, Pastor, I've done this. And I've done that. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, he said it was just like a gate opened. Freedom began to flow through the congregation. It was no longer about formality. It was about God. They had revival happen. You know what it was all based upon? Repentance. Humility. If I regard iniquity in my heart, what does the Bible say about my prayer life? I will not be heard. I cannot have my sin and have my Jesus at the same time. If I love the world, the love of the Father is not in me. If I've allowed myself to get taken down the back road, I'm not going to receive God's best. I'm just not. F.B. wrote, he said, sin, sin is the act of the will. You know, we're talking volition here. And is only possible when the will assents to some unholy influence. When you finally say, I want to do that, oh, it ain't right. Oh, I think I'll just do it. I mean, after all, I'm mad. The tempter, presenting his temptations, remember fishing, through the sense and emotions, because that's what he plays on, makes an appeal to the will, the volition, which is our real self. Don't ever get too far and forget who you are. Jonathan Edwards, you know how he described us all? Monsters of iniquity. It was in that sermon. Monsters of iniquity. If that will instantly shudders as chicks when the hawk is hovering in the sky above them and cries, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God and looks at once to Jesus, there are, so far as I can understand, no sins. If on the other hand, the will begins to hesitate with temptation, to dally with it and yield to it, Then we have stepped out of the light into the dark. We have broken God's laws, soiled our white robes, and brought ourselves into condemnation. To this we are liable as long as we are in this world. We may live a godly, righteous, sober life for years, but if we look away from God only for a moment, our will may be suddenly mastered And we may, like David, be hurried into a sin which will blast our peace and blacken our character for all coming time. That's sobering, isn't it? That's sobering. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. From you. John is writing to his people, don't love this world. Do not get sucked into that. Do you resist it? Are you taken captive and held by it? Now, what I want to do here is go into verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And to that, I think it's easy to agree, right? God is not going to have part of that. There are three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
And what I've done is simply kind of reworded the idea behind each of these three to these three. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Because these three things, if I stand here I can read it without the glasses, the land, the lust of the land of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust, lust, pride. Lust, lust, pride. First of all, remember, God resists the who? Proud. He gives grace to the humble. Okay, what is, what is God drawn to? Humility. Brokenness. You're telling me that God loves us just to be down on ourselves all the time? No, He desires you to be real with yourself all the time. God, I need you. I can't do it. I don't have it. I do not have the ability. I am a sinner and I need you every moment of every day. I want to be simply sustained by you. That's all. My heart is taken. Cannot share it with another. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, just to kind of highlight it, is an evil, organized, earthly system controlled by the power of the evil one that has aligned itself against God and His kingdom. This was by Achan his New Testament commentary is what he, decide, he defined the world as. And I think we can see clearly each day how the world is becoming more apparent. Not the, the pretty sky and seas and ocean and all the created things. We're talking about the world and its evil corruption, its systems. Lies being perpetuated. Wills of men Killing other people who won't submit. Control and the loss of freedom and murder of the innocents. Redefining of male and female. I just have to say something real quick here by way of logic. I don't care what you caught, cut off or sew on. Your genes are set. Take it up with your creator. Oh, that's the problem. My bad. Yeah. But in that thinking. But Christian, don't get too lofty just yet. Those people who say such egregious things, those, those ones who are espousing such horrific nonsense, right? What do you expect the dead to say? Because honestly, the last conversation I had with a dead person was very one-sided. You know, the dead can only do one thing. And it's true, they can. They can rot. They can decay. And it gets worse and worse until they're all consumed. Do you... Mm, this is hard on me to say because I'm this way. Do you love sinners? They don't know they're sinful, right? And they're proud and they're arrogant because they're dead. Well, how can they wear dog collars and mini skirts and be a dude? Because they're... That's real happy. It's true for me. But it, because they're dead. They're dead. Do, is it easier to look upon them with scorn or pity? Well, now we're getting into kind of, you know, my spiritual maturity. 
How about both, preacher? Well, fair enough. But wouldn't it be something if we were to become so surrendered to the Savior in our own walk that when we saw the dude in the dog collar and the miniskirt and the high boots, instead of seeing shock, we saw a dead man in need of a Savior. Wouldn't that be something? And we stood there, even if that was putting up a vibe of don't talk to me, just notice. God, I pray for this man, the dude in the dog collar and the miniskirt and the high boots, that somehow in your sovereign grace that you would look upon that man and get your gospel to him that he may be saved. So when you start praying like that, you better expect all hell to break loose in your life. But instead, it's easy, isn't it, to be turned off? I'll never forget that scene, I guess, in my life. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So back to the scene of you're standing by this person. You are a living sacrifice. What a sacrifice is actually, what are they supposed to do? Well, if they're, they're going to die. <laughs> you have to die to yourself. Self. And all the time it's trying to come up through you. Always trying to exert its, 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 its influence. And there's a war inside of you and it says you are to present your bodies a living sacrifice and it and it gives some descriptors holy means set apart acceptable without spot to god you're supposed to that's how we're supposed to live that's the normal christian life which is your reasonable sir it says it's reasonable brian it's reasonable do you get that it's like normal stuff here just reasonable and then it says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the problem that you have between your ears by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God this is our problem ladies and gentlemen right in between the ears this is where we have problems, how we think. Do you know why? Okay, I'm going to be back on it. If you read your Bible every day, it is a supernatural book. It will go into your soul and it will sit there. And like a very holy bacteria, <laughs> it will begin to multiply and divide into your soul so that you will begin to think scripturally or at the very minimum when you see a man dressed in a miniskirt and a dog collar with high boots the scripture will be saying he is a sinner you must love him now your flesh may be freaking out too but at least at the minimum you will have that you will think that way because you You've put it in you. You cannot eat garlic and not stink. I know this. Rennie tells me every day. 
This is why you read your Bible. You want to know the secret to the Christian life? Read. Telelege. Read. Take up and read. Just, just, it's just so simple. Yet it's so hard. And then you talk to God about it. Your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and, and perfect will of God. How about this? This word for conformed. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. This was an English guy. Mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world reshape you. Don't. There is no such thing as American Christianity. Just Christianity. (laughs) Okay? Do you understand that? Conservative Christianity is not really good. It's biblical Christianity, in which case will manifest in very conservative values. Don't be reshaped. It's so subtle. I like this word, though. It, to conform is schismatizo. Schism means to form according to a pattern or mold. Are you being reshaped at all? Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. We live in a... Our, our, our culture is very much inflamed right now. If you listen to talk radio too much, you're going to be inflamed too. Just, you may need to stop for a while is all I'm saying. You just may need to stop. Because it's going to creep into the most important hour of your day. In your Bible reading. You're going to be reading your Bible. And you're going to be hearing Ben Shapiro or somebody like that. In your head. Just don't need that. Life's hard enough. Don't make it worse on yourself. I'm not saying you can't listen to that stuff. But I am saying you can't listen to that stuff if you can't handle it. You can only take so much laying out in the sun before you turn red. Then you need to get inside. Transformation through renewed minds comes as believers expose themselves to God's word. That's what I just said. Through the faithful exposition of it each week in church, personal Bible study, and group Bible study. I have been so impressed with the attendance we've been having in Sunday school. It's just, I, I have to admit, I thought it would go but, but apparently you guys are, are having a need met. And it's really cool to watch. But do you see what this, this writer, I believe it's Piper's writing here, he's saying, renewed minds come as believers expose themselves to God's word through the faithful preaching of it each week in church personal Bible study, and group Bible study. It'd be really great. Okay, so we have a K4T children's ministry right now, and it takes up our Wednesday night. We have personnel for that. If any of you are saying, I wish we had an adult Bible study, well, great job. Go start a home group and invite folks to come. Why don't you do that? I can't be in two places at once. Where would I be if I could? But it's an interesting thought. But I'm saying, do that. Have a Bible study where you live. Get people in the Word. It's, it, uh, staff-led churches only lead to infections. It's true. 
You must be the body that prevents staph infection. Okay? And the only way to do that is to do the right things. Did I just undo us? Okay. A solid church that believes in preaching the word, reading the word, and singing the word is invaluable in helping us renew our minds. That's, that's an understatement. There are no shortcuts. There is no magical formula for renewing our minds. We must fill our minds with God's word. As Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 16 is a warning. And as Stephen Olford writes in his way of holiness, and this is really, I want, I want you to get this. Oh, you may talk about your strength today, but tomorrow you may be as helpless as a baby. You can't guarantee a single day. For whom are you living? Who do you love, right? What is the destiny of your life? Nothing is more miserable than to know you are living a wasteful life. If you've ever had to preach a sermon for someone you know is right straight in headed for hell, you know what it's like to have lived a wasted life. When there's nothing to say. And everyone wants to have hope that somehow they were different, but they weren't, they weren't, they weren't. One day you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and if your life has been self-centered, worldly, manifesting those sexual, spiritual, and social sins we've been thinking about, you're going to see that whole life of yours burned up. You will have... Now this got me. This rough. You will have the unutterable shame of pressing the charred embers of a wasted life into his pierced hands and saying, that's all I have for you, Lord. Ashes. No, today is the day to serve. Today is the day to do, it th- to do right. Today is the day to surrender and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and seek to please your King. Today is The flesh, the carnal flesh is a very evil, sinful, and disorderly monster in which various kinds of corruption are hidden that dovetail well with our individual traits and circumstances so as to bind and untie us with them as they were our own. Thus it tarnishes and pollutes everything that is within us and around us. We are a a literal mess of corruption. But Jesus... Right, who saves us, takes away our shame and our reproach, fills us with his presence, empowers us to live the Christian life. And when we fall and we do, he reassures us to get up again and go on because we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price or glorify God in your body. Just do you have the word of God in your heart to fight against the flesh? You are not condemned. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Galatians 5.17 For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one to another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You got that right. But I'm trying. I'm trying because I love him. I'm trying because I'm compelled to. I'm trying because I can't help but do any different. And when I blow it, boy do I. 
I go right back to his feet and I said, Jesus, it's me again. And he says, I know. I love you the same. Now let's do better. Yes, sir. And up we go. The lust and cravings of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Pride emanating from the flesh, right? Here's what's in it for me. Here's how you can tell if you're going down the highway of pride. All these billboards are about me. How great I am and my needs. I mean, look at them. I'm that important. It's even got my name. Mickey Kelly Memorial Highway. All the convenience store says things Mickey likes. Wow, the cars and the, the, the license plates like Mickey 1. Wow. Mickey 2. It's all about me and my needs. Where does it end? Oh, we don't talk about that. We, we don't want to talk. It actually ends nowhere. Because at the end of that highway, at about 150 miles an hour, is a big cement wall. Don't fall into that. Whenever Jesus begins to take a back seat and your chart's starting to make excuses that somehow he's going to shove or fudge his, his commands for you, you really are in danger. Finally, the devil. The devil and Satan. This is adapted from gotquestions.org. And by the way, it's a wonderful website. It's a good resource for you to use. Here's what they list. Satan is a personal being with a mind, emotions, and a will. We see that in Job and Matthew. He is a created being and is not equal to God. Oh, he also can't be everywhere at the same time. Satan does not rule hell. He's, he's not in there yet. In fact, no one is. They're in county jail. That's called Hades. They're waiting to go up to the big house. Okay. Hell was created as a punishment for Satan and his demons. Neither does Satan live in hell as the Bible describes how he can enter into heaven and roam the earth because apparently if he lived in hell, he wouldn't be in heaven. The devil can only do what God allows. He is limited. Let me go back to that. Oh, I hate it when it does that. That's the only problem with the Mac. There's grace there. The devil can only do what God allows. There's an immense amount of grace there. He does not have free reign. So if you're going through it, just know, somewhere out there, is a chain. He'll hit the end of it soon. Okay? In addition to being a tempter, Satan is also the accuser of the brethren. That's in Revelation. Stands before God day and night and accusing, saying, blah, blah, blah. Jesus says, so they're mine. Satan is not omnipresent, but he does oversee a horde of demons called the powers of the dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he uses this network to tempt and deceive people. He actively works to nullify, and this is the big one. He actively works to nullify the effect of the word of God in people's hearts. And he blinds the intellect of those who do not believe so they cannot understand the gospel. 
The Word of God is our job to disseminate all over the world. That's our job. That's our ministry of reconciliation. Lastly, Satan is described as the God of this age. Remember the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the world, the flesh, and the devil? The world is right here and has dominion over the world and its system insofar as God allows him to. So don't, this is a sobering message, right? Should be. John's writing to his people saying, look up, look out, look ahead. Jesus is your great high priest. He is your victor. You have victory in him. If you don't know Jesus, you are in danger, grave danger. Henry Morris, in writing on this issue, you know, you probably heard of him, Institute for Creation Research. He said, The devil and his evil host used their own dark powers to tempt and destroy the people of God, but for the purpose of the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. We have a victor. Christ assured Satan's defeat when he paid for our redemption on the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a King James shoe of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He made a spectacle of them. So don't think for a second that is like Star Wars where you have the dark side, the light side, the force, okay, and, they, and they're equal somehow. They're not equal. God just decimates that side. There is, it's a speck as all as that is in reality, but don't start believing that. You have an abiding Savior. This world is passing away and the lust of it, but here's the promise. If you do the will of God, you abide forever. So what are you supposed to do? Hey, Gus, what does it say we're supposed to do? Will of God. He's like, don't call on me again. But it's true. It's right there. The will of God. What is the will of God? Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Follow me. There is no room at the cross for you and your pride. God will actively resist your pride. But... God will give grace, forgiveness, and victory to the one that casts aside their pride and does his will. Acts 17, verse 30 and 31 to finish up today. Let's read this. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commends all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance to this to all by raising him from the dead. So I want to ask you, do you know this man, Jesus? Because there's something you're going to have to overcome if you say you don't believe. The resurrection. Jesus came up out of that grave, y'all. Never to be put in one again. And he reigns in total supremacy. And this thing is being played out according to his plan and to his divine purposes. And he's extending his hand of grace to you. And he's saying to you who don't know him, right there, repent and be saved. Confess Christ. 
Give him your allegiance. Give him your mess, your junk, your debris. and Ask him to live through you anew. I'm going to ask JT to come. As JT plays or sings or both, this question is before you. You're going to have the entire rest of the day. But what about this question right now? And I think there's two on the table. Who do you love the most? And have you repented of your sin? The altar is open for you to come and pray. By the way, if you harbor any unforgiveness to anyone in this church facility, you are more than encouraged to go to them and deal with that issue. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit may prompt you to do today, take these next moments and do.